Welcome back to the Echelon Podcast, where you either get it or maybe you don't. I'm your host, Adam Zimmerman, coming to you from the great state of Colorado. Questions or comments about the show, get in touch at theechelonpodcast at gmail.com. Stoked back on the mic. It's been a few weeks, James. Uh, welcome back to the show, James McCabe, my uh, co-host. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, but I really want to know how you're doing. You're coming right off of Swift Nationals, right? 2019. This was the second time you're doing them. Probably need a whole separate show decade to that, but how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm in better spirits than I was the the, the day of. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I don't I don't dwell, man. You know, um, like you can't dwell on things like that. And uh, I got ended up getting fit, so I'm pretty happy about that. But uh, obviously wanted the win, had the legs for the win, just had didn't have the timing to win. And um, it's the way it goes sometimes. But overall, you know, um, I just. I'm always the type of person where I'm like, yeah, you just got to move on to the next. What's what's the next big thing, you know? Uh, and that's just how endurance sports are in a way, if you think about it, right? They're just, um, you're only as good as your next result. So, um, yeah, I, I'm moving on from it, man. It's it's time for uh, bigger and better things for sure, man. So. And you got plenty of cycling, indoor and outdoor, to look forward to the rest of this year. But great effort. Yeah, man. I can't wait till we can go shred some trails uh, together on a mountain bike, you know? For sure. Who do we have on the show with us today? Stoked. Back on the mic with people from Jersey this time. I'm not from Jersey. I'm from New York, but really excited to talk to Jeffrey and Teresa Johnson. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Same. I'm actually Teresa DeSassa because I didn't like the name Teresa Johnson. You can keep that but part in. You can in. keep that part in. It's a running joke. <laughs> I like, I like DeSassa better anyway. Yeah, that me, sounds off the boat Italian. You know? uh, me too. It's much sexier. Much sexier. <laughs> Cool. Well, so you guys, so you guys weren't born and bred Jersey, or you've lived there most of your life. Tell us a little bit about your background there. So um, I actually was born in New Jersey, but my parents weren't. My parents are from off the boat um, from Italy, and but I've been li- I lived in Point Pleasant pretty much my whole life. Um, yes, yeah, pretty much my whole life until we got married, and now we live out in Jackson. Yeah. So I've. Uh lived born in new jersey lived probably within 45 minute radius of where we currently live now like Teresa said in jackson new jersey so um dead center of the state been here my whole life and uh i don't know how much longer we'll be here but we we do like the state it's uh very versatile and we have a great community here so if we do leave, it will be very hard to leave. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I absolutely love Jersey. I love it more than than the New York City area and Brooklyn and Long Island when my parents um, and I grew up as a teenager. But um, and the reason is, is because of the riding, at least the road riding. Um, I moved there uh, when I first met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And uh, together we lived there for, oh, I don't know, six to eight months. I know it was short for me. She lived there a little longer, about uh, four or five years. But the amount of riding that I got in, the, these rolling roads, not much traffic. The cyclists in the, were, in the area was big. Uh, the, the motorists are really cool. It was just a fun, fun place. And, and I think New Jersey sometimes gets a bad rap, you know, that whole dirty Jersey thing. But um, but it's really not like that, right? And I think it's probably around this. How is the riding, I guess, around you guys? Yeah. 
Actually, that's why we moved out to Jackson, just because um, I live by the shore and there's a lot more traffic. And where we live in Jackson, we can go out west where we get more country roads, um, horse farms, and a lot less traffic, more rolling terrain. We don't have the hills by us, but we can get some rolling hills. Don't you agree, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, New Jersey is like so versatile, right? So you get up around the city, it, it could be rather congested, crowded, but there's also parts like right over the river from Manhattan that are just absolutely stunningly beautiful and very hilly. Um, like Teresa said, in our area, if you head east towards the beach, it gets pretty densely populated. Um, but if you head west out towards PA, uh, don't enter PA, but out towards PA, uh, it's uh, pretty, pretty rural and a lot of horse farms. Uh, very minimal traffic as far as New Jersey is concerned, and it makes for some decent road riding. Uh, I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, I don't want to leave you out too, James, because um, you did grow up born and bred in Jersey, even though you don't sound like that. But um, you, your riding experiences, I know we talked about on the last podcast, were, were pretty positive as well, right? Yeah, I grew up right in the Somerset County area, so not exactly where you guys are in Jackson, but a little bit farther north. But the riding in North Jersey, like you mentioned, riding closer to Pennsylvania, it's great. And I think it's New Jersey's best kept secret, the quality of the riding and the roads back there. You can get in some great efforts. I got a lot of friends still back there that listen to this podcast that certainly um, that certainly love um, you know the riding back in Jersey. So yeah, I miss it sometimes. But you mentioned you guys were thinking about potentially departing. New Jersey, where would that next step be? Yeah, we, you know, it, it's almost like a running joke because there's really no uh, laid plans, but we've been doing a decent amount of traveling around the United States the past couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. For me, I think a standout place was definitely Bend, Oregon. Definitely, I agree. Uh, I love Oregon, that. Oregon, depending on how you say it. Um, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, that. All right, now, now I'll give you that. That was a typical New Jersey East Coast way to say Oregon. And my my wife went to, yeah, my wife went to there. My wife went to college there, and every time I say it that way, she rolls her eyes and gives me a mean look. <laughs> my bad to all the Oregonites out there, but um, I really did like that that city, and I, it's almost more like a town bend, but um back to for compared to what I'm used to or compared to what we're used to, but it felt like home to me. Uh, there was just an amazing mountain bike or cycling in general community. Um, we, we really enjoyed it. And Portland being about three hours away uh, was a huge benefit just because Teresa and I are pretty big into eating uh, <laughs> like most cyclists. And the food there was incredible. We also visited Portland and uh, the uh, culinary uh, the deal out there is, is insane. Probably some of the best food, if not the best food we've ever eaten. Yeah. I think, uh, voodoo donuts is actually based out of Portland. Yeah, yes. it, it is. And we, uh, we hit that place up like, uh, right, uh, probably at the right time of like 1130 PM one night. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And they have them here in Denver. So if we're going to entice you with Denver, um, here's another location to go with, right? But um, yeah, Bend, I've been there myself for Cyclocross Nationals, oh geez, that's when I was in college, so sometime between 20, 2011, 2012 maybe. Um, again, great cycling community, very down to earth, very grassroots, um, and 
it's like the soil. I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it just, it's really tacky and it really sticks. So when we were doing the cyclocross nationals, it was a mud fest, first of all, that year. But it was just so much fun just to rip around those corners when it wasn't raining. Uh, you can't really find that soil anywhere else. But in Asheville, um, I went to school in North Carolina. The riding in Asheville and just in the western slope of North Carolina, um, it's beautiful. And it's, you know, you have two very, very interesting climates that I think New Jersey can't necessarily offer. But again, that's not to say New Jersey doesn't have its good elements. You won't have the shore. You won't have the Jersey shore in either of those locations. I personally don't need the Jersey shore. Um, I lived here my whole life and I barely ever go to the beach maybe once throughout the whole summer i'd rather spend my time on a bike in the woods than sitting on a beach so Asheville is definitely my second pick if we couldn't move out west i would definitely see myself living in Asheville, north carolina or somewhere between Asheville and greensville south carolina yep and i agree with you on the beach for those that don't know i have red hair i'm very pale i can't go near the sun i you know colorado is pretty rough on my skin too but the beach doesn't wouldn't help um, but you're clearly making some important life decisions based, you know, for living based around cycling. How'd you guys get into cycling? What, you know, what attracted you to the sport? Um, New Jersey's not exactly the most bike friendly place, especially compared to Asheville or Oregon. Um, tell us about that. So I'll go first. Um, so 16 years ago, um, you know, I was an athlete, I would say later in my life due to my parents, you know, being from Italy and not really understanding, but I loved playing sports all through high school, played varsity sports for three sports in high school, was going to play a sport in college, but decided not to. And then after college, I was kind of getting bored, you know, um, I did a little bit of kickboxing, but I wanted that like group atmosphere. So I was driving to work one day and I saw a group of cyclists um, on the road and I was like, wow. That looks pretty awesome. Um, my dad and my uncle had a pizza place in Brielle Cycery where they always bought our bikes growing up. So about two weeks later, I saw the group again. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go check out for get a bike and see what this is all about. So I grabbed an envelope of all the cash I had. Um, I was a poor, you know, just out of college student, just trying to find something to do. Uh, I went to Brielle Cycery and she was supposed to be closed, the owner, Kathy. But she happened to be open and she was packed and she was the only one working because they were supposed to be closed. So I sat there like patiently just waiting for her to help me. And I'm like, ah, it's okay. And I pretty much was going there since I was six years old because my dad. So when she was finally ready to like help me, she's like, how can I help you? And I was like, well, I keep seeing these awesome kits and these bikers and a big group. And I, I want to start doing that. Like, what do I need? So... She set me up with my first road bike and the rest was history. Wow. Just like that. That's so funny that you, you know, it's funny because I've done a lot of podcasts and I've, I always ask this question for that reason because every story is different, you know, but um, that's really interesting that nobody actually presented you with like a bicycle or wasn't somebody in your life. You just happened to be driving down the road, which was thinking about working out and you saw a, a Peloton, a cyclist and you're like, yeah, this fits the bill. Yeah. I mean, the kits were awesome. Everyone had like Cookie Monster and all these like different kits. Some were like in uniforms because they, you know, Brielle had a, an elite men's team. So um, they looked pretty badass. So I was like, yeah, I think I could do that. So so tell me a little bit more about this. So so you, you get your first bike. 
Are, are you starting to race right away or are you just starting to do group rides? When did that like competitive uh, side really come out for you? All right. Well, that was pretty, that's, this is a pretty funny story. So I got this bike and then, you know, I haven't, I wasn't in that great a shape because I wasn't doing anything. So I did my first time trial and time trialing is really big in New Jersey. It is today. Uh, we have a great series. So I did this time trial on my road bike and I was going so slow that the marshal told me to get off the course because it was a bike race. And I was like, yeah, I'm in it. <laughs> and then I realized you can't just, it's not like other sports where you can be naturally talented at. I realized I had to work to become fast after that day. Wow. And that was it though. That was, that's what set you on the uh, kind of track, right? To, uh, just wanting to get better. Yeah. Oh, definitely. After exactly. So, so you were introduced to um, to road racing at first, correct? But um, when did that that did you make that transition from uh, from the road to mountain? Um. So, gosh, just most recently. So, um, I started road racing in like 2004, but then got serious in 2005. So, from 2005 and to 2009, I was doing about 40 races a year. Um, but mainly men races, women's racing were kind of far and few between, but I did plenty of those. But then in 2009 was probably my best season. I was like, finally, like everything was clicking. My power numbers were starting to become amazing. But then I got hit by a car, um, in 2009 at the end of that season and kind of sidetracked me from like not racing again. I had, it left me with a kind of a unique injury. Um, I'm not sure if the accident itself caused it, but they found like a lipoma compressing my sciatic nerve that they could not remove because of the placement of it. So it left me with a uh, pretty bad sensory nerve damage. So that pretty much ended my um, cycling career in 2000, at the end of 2009 for road. You know, I dabbled back here and there in racing, but I never was able to get fast again. Um, I just really had, because I didn't really focus on my injury and how to you know, keep the pain where I can race again and get fast again. So, but yeah, so then, um, so then I took a couple years off, but I, I'm, I'm not sure if we're going to talk about later, but I own a women's cycling team. So I really focused on building that and about three years. Yeah. I mean, I kind of do a lot. So about three years ago, my injury, like I started like really working, going to chiropractor every two weeks, stretching. And I realized like, wow, like I'm starting to feel good again. The pain subsided a little bit. Um, I got into mountain biking and I saw that that hurt less and I absolutely loved it. And it was a great stress reliever from running my team and my, my everyday career. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I felt like a kid in a candy store every time I was out in the woods. So last year I said, I'm going to try a few races, see how it goes. And um, I tried a few races. I won my second race. Uh, my first race, I got fourth just from not understanding how to pass people. Um, and then now this year, I look forward to racing a whole season in the mass series down here. I want to hit upon those mountain bike races, especially the ones in New Jersey, because that resonates with a lot of nostalgia for me. Some of the early, some of the Campmore series races that were out there. Um, but we want to hear about Jeff and how he got into cycling. Jeff, tell us how you got into cycling. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good story in my opinion. Um, Back mid-teens, maybe early teen years, um, my parents and I, uh, with, with my friend Greg, actually, uh, would go up to Killington, Vermont in the summer of all times, um, really to just hang out. My parents kind of liked that low-key vibe that, had, that they had up there in the summer, and 
one day we were going up the the gondola at Killington, the ski area, and uh, Greg and I spotted a couple downhill mountain bikers screaming down one of the hills, and we kind of looked at each other, and and we had that twinkle in our eyes, you know, young teenagers, like we need to go try that, um, and uh, yeah, that that was definitely how it started. Uh, we I think the next year that we went up there, we ended up renting bikes and whatnot, but. That's really how it, it began. That's how the, the love of cycling started. Uh, when we got back home, uh, Greg was this uh, tall, skinny, typical cyclist-looking person. And uh, so he immediately jumped right into getting a, a cheap you know, mountain bike and started riding locally. Um, unfortunately for me, I was extremely overweight and had extremely bad asthma um and i therefore was was really unable to even pursue cycling the way i wanted to um so at the time i i kind of had this kmart mongoose mountain bike i think weighed i had to be 50 pounds i'm making up for that now with with super light bikes but man that thing was rough um and i would kind of just ride around the neighborhood just trying trying to lose weight, trying to get in some sort of shape. Um, it, it progressed from there. I, I ended up getting uh, like my first serious mountain bike. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was like a specialized rock hopper, um, hardtail, pretty low spec. And uh, started riding with Greg more seriously locally. Um, started to grow out of asthma slash get it under control was losing weight all at the same time. Um, and before you know it, uh, I was racing every weekend, road racing. I actually, uh, during that time, we, we kind of, Greg and I kind of progressed through cycling together. That's why he's coming up so much in the conversation. But we, we, we were training with mountain biking, but then we, we quickly realized that the race scene in our local area or the, the serious riders in our local area were all road cyclists. So we then transitioned to road and, and were, you know, riding every day, not necessarily together, but, but we were uh, training seriously and all through our late teen years and uh, racing, uh, road racing. So that, that's kind of how it happened for me. Um, I'm not sure how far you want me to go with all that. But I just want to say something really inspiring about my husband, Jeff, when he makes it sound like nonchalant that... He was extremely overweight. He was pretty sick with this asthma, but he lost over a hundred pounds. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So if he ever showed a picture of his before and after, it's pretty significant and it's pretty impressing that he overcame that illness with asthma. I mean, he still has his asthma and it's definitely controlled, but just to see the transformation that he did was just absolutely amazing. That, I mean, there's a lot. That is a really great story. And I love hearing stories like that where people take cycling, they use it as a mechanism to not necessarily in this case, turn your life around, but, you know, make more positive changes. And I think there's a lot of perceptions about cycling from the community of folks that don't really know what cycling really is, right? They just see it as folks on the road taking up lanes. Um, but no, it's a really tight knit community and it's a very healthy and active community and they are all in it together. Yeah, um, no, it's definitely, I mean, I Cycling, no shit, changed my life, um, literally every aspect. Uh, and I, I literally like thank the sport every day. 
by uh, contributing most of my non-professional life to it um, just because I, I feel like I almost owe something to it because of how much uh, positive, positive things it's brought to me. Yeah, I, I try to find ways to get back to the community as much as I can. I mean, Adam asked me to join this podcast because he wanted to find a podcast and find a way to tell folks about all these incredible life stories that folks have. So, I mean, this is one way that we try to give back. Um, I think another way we can give back too is reminding folks about the awesome New Jersey racing scene that's out there. You mentioned road racing. Um, I'm looking at the New Jersey calendar for racing um, on Bike Reg, and it looks like the uh, Branch Book series is starting back up on Saturday, those early morning races in Newark. Did you ever do any of those? Yeah, those were... Um... <laughs> There's actually a funny story yeah, about that. I'm going to tell that one. <laughs> yeah, we, we we certainly both of us have done a lot of uh, racing in Branchbrook Park, which is a park in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, they they typically were the um, spring bookend. It was the start of the season for for us here, as far as road racing, kind of gave everybody uh, gave everybody a chance to kind of show off your legs or not. Um, Zwift was not a thing back in the day, and no. therefore no one knew how strong or not each other was, and that was the the uh, proving grounds. And um, I could probably draw a map of that park to this day, having not raced it in several several years, uh, quite easily. And I have a pretty interesting story about Branchbrook Park because that's pretty much why we're together today. If you guys would like to hear it. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, talking about the women's racing scene when I first started, well, in 2006, there wasn't any women's races to this day. There is an, um, they only have one in which is cherry blossom in April for women. So I jumped in the oh, men's no. did, race. You, did you crash him out? Did you uh, crash him out? No, uh -oh. it were. So in the, All right. I was in the men's race. There's about 70 guys in this pack and I was staying about top 20 first two laps. And here comes Jeff next to me. And he says, what are you doing? You're doing awesome. You're kicking ass. You should like move back so you can finish. So as he's talking to me, I try to get on his wheel because I'm going to listen to him. And two guys pinched me. I crash. I break my radius in three pieces. So he leaves me, he leaves me on the side of the road, doesn't even stop after he crashed me out. If he just left me alone and just let me burn myself out up front, I would have been fine. Uh, he's laughing because he'll probably disagree. Yeah, I'm gonna have so, to. I'm gonna have to have my side of this conversation. Guys. So, as you know, where you know where Branchbrook is, it's in Newark, right? Oh yeah, I've done those races. I've I've traveled over the bridge yeah. to do those races in the cold winter mornings. Yeah, I was kind of on the side of the road. So here comes Jeff, and he's like, "How are you doing?" I'm like, "I had no idea where I was. My helmet was cracked. My arm was broken three pieces. No ambulance came. It took about an hour. No one can drive my car. That was a stick." And so Jeff was my hero who was able to drive my car. And um, I had to get into a, a police car to get to the hospital because an, an ambulance never came. So it was quite the interesting meetup. Yeah, it was uh, one, one hell of a way to, to make a connection with a girl. I'll tell you that. I mean, um, we knew each other beforehand from the bike shop, but that was like the first real connection that we had. Yeah, that's what, that's what brought us together to the, to the point of, you know, being, I guess, interested in one another. But um, yeah, it was a four or five race. And, you know, I, 
I thought by telling Teresa, hey, maybe you shouldn't do so much work up front, it would benefit her. Um, not necessarily with the arm, but probably <laughs> in life. Um, so yeah, two guys, two guys also tried to get on my wheel at the same time as her. And they had these big metal barriers in, in the park, um, separating the, the lanes, the, the, the two lane road, um, in that portion of the course. And yeah, like Teresa said, she went down, uh, cracked her arm between her handlebar. She was in the drops between her handlebar and her top. Wow. Which so left you can dent. picture that. It left a dent on my bike. Yep. She mm -hmm. definitely dented the frame. Um, that's, that's one, that's one for the memory books, but, um, yeah, a story that we'll probably never get tired of telling. <laughs> no, I mean, Hey, you can't top that story, especially for two cyclists. I mean, first of all, I'd like to say, Teresa, I give you a ton of credit for coming back after being in a cat four or five men's race, crashing that bad. And still coming back for more to race, you know, years down the road. I think that's awesome. I really do. Um, yeah, I was talking to more, and actually, that that after that crash and being on my trainer, stuck on my trainer for a couple months, I did jump back into another men's race as my first race back. Um, but I did much better, and I finished. <laughs> and Jeff, good job, good job for uh, for driving her. Yeah, I'm really glad you came back. Yeah, yeah, it all worked out, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I, and wow, I'm now I'm getting nostalgic because I remember these road races. Um, I did those as a four or five and, and as a three also, uh, for, for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I'd cross over the bridge with a few guys and, and we would do, uh, all those Jersey races, um, you know, Jersey crits and stuff like that. So yeah, that's definitely bringing back memories. So man, I mean, t tell us a little bit more about, about the racing scene now, you know, um, from when you guys started, is it, is it still flourishing? Is there still good pack fields? Um, road and mountain tell us a little bit about both if you don't mind yeah so I'll, i guess i'll kick us off here so i i personally haven't raced road in, a, in several years but um being involved with Teresa and owning the women's team it's something that uh i i have been unable to and wouldn't want to escape so i'm still pretty in tune with what's going on um like branchbrook park uh, most of the races uh road races in new jersey are crits so criterium racing um i happen to like that just because i'm i'm, I'm more of a punchy sprinter type of uh rider um but Teresa kind of hinted on this earlier i would say the the biggest uh thing right now in new jersey is is our time trialing so um our the the people that run our our local association njba have, have put a ton of time and effort into producing or developing a, a really amazing New Jersey time trial series. Um, and it's, it's a pretty stable calendar that repeats year after year. And, um, and they also even started like an Eddie category, which means that you can just go with your road bike. It can have um, 808s, but no disc wheels. So you have your regular time trial series with also Eddie series for people like roadies that want to go in there and do like a whole time trial series. And it's about 12 races and it's, it has great turnouts for all men and women. Yeah. So I, I don't know, Teresa, I would say maybe like for a particular time trial event, if you added in all of the participants, what about 200 participants per event? I would say about that. I'm yeah, estimating. Yeah. Um, some, some of the bigger ones, like 150 to 200. Yep. Definitely. 
So, um, but as far as the road racing goes, I find that New Jersey can be hit or miss, um, especially for the women. I find that the women racing in New Jersey can be really light. Um, but when you go into PA or some of the more popular races, I definitely see more about like 30 to 40 women, um, like uh, lower Providence in PA. Um, are you familiar with that lower Providence? I'm not sure if that rate, that race was here when you guys were here. Yeah, Back same here. I can't remember. It's been it's been like ten years now, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, Lower Providence is a great race. So usually that's our first like real big team event, and um, that usually gets about a great forty women in the elite field. And same thing with the Cat Four or Five women fields; they get a good about twenty. Um, but we kick off in New Jersey at the Cherry Blossom, which is Branchbrook Park. Uh, that's like April sixth, and that could be hit or miss for the women's field. We can get anywhere, sometimes 10, and then one year we would have like 40. So it really depends on the weather and what kind of teams are out there. And I try so hard to get women's teams to start, but it's it's really difficult. So I'm not sure what to expect this year, but I feel like the men's racing, the numbers usually stay pretty stable. Yeah, yeah, we have – we. I would say we have decent-sized fields. I mean, like I said, I've never lived or raced anywhere else, so I don't really have much to compare it against. but. Um, there's enough people to certainly make it competitive. Um, four or five is always a big field. And believe it or not, the biggest fields from my experience in New Jersey, not that I am racing in them uh, yet, at least, is the Masters fields. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the, not even the 35 plus, but like the, the 45 and the 55 plus fields in New Jersey are probably the biggest fields that you'll see all day, or at least close to it. Um, and it just so happens that most of the fastest people in our area are are uh, not super young, so they're they're more thirty five plus riders. Um, you do get you know your your sprinkling of very young, um, I'll say twenty five and under, you know top top level riders or those coming up through the ranks. But uh, a majority of the, like the the cat twos, cat ones, you're looking at the thirty five plus. So. It's common for them to race in those master's fields as well. As far as the elite, um, I'll say like the amateur elite race, uh, it's mostly pro or one, two, three races here. Cat one, two, three races. They typically group the cat threes in with the ones and the twos to increase field sizes. Um, Just because naturally, as as you get into the higher categories, um, there's there's just less riders. Right. And, you know, those... The, the pro one, two category, generally those are not the ones in mass at the races, right? Those are the elites. Um, most of them have, you know, teams around them paying for them to go to the race and they're being told what races to go to. It's the masters riders and the juniors riders that are really bringing in the revenue. I was at the tour of Somerville this past uh, Memorial day. And I'm sure you guys know about the tour of Somerville. I'm sure many listeners on this call, yeah. yeah, my team's been there. We we were there. Actually, yeah, my te- <laughs> my teammate got fourth this year and then third the year before. Yeah, we we were in, there in the, in the uh, elite yeah. women's field. So we we always have a good field uh, field of women, and we've done really well there the last two years. Yeah, that that is an amazing race for people that don't know. Um, it's in a it's in a small town called Somerville. It it has such an awesome uh, community following. So many people come to spectate. It's uh, it's really awesome, and, and for the men, it's a pro pro one field, um, if I'm not mistaken, James. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a pro one for men. 
uh, and they have their own category two and then category three. Um, I know I, I lived right there. I lived in Branchburg, um, which is just down the road. Uh, so I knew Somerville. I actually raced for the Somerville bicycle shop uh, for the tour of Somerville. And I remember it specifically because it was that road race was one of the only road races where they blocked off traffic. So we had both lanes to race on, which is amazing. Because as you know, all amateur riders out there can't stand the double yellow. So it was so nice to go over the double yellow for once, you know. Um, but but it was it was cool, you know. I, I loved that race and and I loved the, the Jersey area, like I've said many times. Um, you know, next I really want to start talking um, a little bit about uh, your team and how this got formed. And and I've taken a look at your website and you've really done something really cool here. But I want to hear like kind of the background story on on why it was built. So first, tell us what your team is called and, and give us a little history on it. Okay, so um, my nonprofit 501c3 is Riptide Cause Cycling, but my actual team due to sponsors is actually Team EPS M-Cubed presented by Brielle Cycery. Um, so, wow, yeah. that's a nameful. Yeah. <laughs> but Definitely. Definitely. So like I said, when I picked up my bike, when I want to do something, I'm all in. And I always try, if I do something, I'm going to give my give 150%. So when I first started, I realized, wow, I'm just the girl on the guy's team or there's nothing here for women. Like I need to do something like this would be something cool to start. And I got lucky because Brielle Psychery had an elite men's team. So I was able to kind of learn from him. So I went to the bike shop and I said, I want to start a women's team. And Kathy looked at me and goes, okay, I'll support you. So I set up my proposal. I didn't really have any teammates at the, at the time, but I wrote a proposal, not sure if I was going to get any sponsors. And I sent it out to a couple people I knew. I gave it to the bike shop and I didn't hear anything for a while. But while my proposal was out there, I reached out to one girl, Sue Hulster, who was a two-time duathlon world champion. I met her at the Branchbrook race and she had the Cookie Monster jersey on. So I called her up and I said, yeah, I said, hey, Sue, do you remember me, Teresa? Um, we were talking in the field and she's like, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm starting a team and I wanted to see if you wanted to join my team. And she's like, who else is on it? I'm like, no one. I'm like, right now you're the only one that I called because you're the only one I kind of knew. So she's like, sure. She's like, do we have sponsors? I'm like, not yet. I'll get back to you. <laughs> You got to start somewhere though, right? So Yeah. So and this I, is also, you, you should probably preface this, like this is in what, 2005, correct. where, you know, Instagram wasn't really a thing and, yeah. you know, social media wasn't blowing up like it is now, right? No, definitely not. I didn't really have a name for myself. I was just this girl who rides, who wanted to start a women's team because I was tired of being a girl on the guy's team. And I was doing, you know, a lot of work for this guy's team to see them getting stuff. And I'm like, well, that's not really fair. So then, you know, I didn't really get any sponsors and this is kind of sad, but I don't want it to be sad. But on Christmas Eve morning, my sister passed away in a car accident who always inspired me to follow my dreams and do what I wanted to do. And that next, that morning, Christmas Eve, because we got mail, I got my first check in the mail for, I think it was, do you remember what it was? Like, say like for $5,000 from- A significant sponsorship. Yeah, significant sponsorship who um, who is still with me to this day. It's EPS and also my good friend, Tony Moose Rafiti, also my boss now, because I quit my teaching job to go work with her. Um, so that first check came in, but 
I was dealing with my sister's death and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So after I dealt with that, um, I noticed another check came in and I was like, wow, these people want to sponsor me. And I only have one rider. <laughs> I'm like, I must have had a great proposal. Um, they believed in me. And then after I, you know, I got through my sister's death, um, the bike shop manager called me up and she, he said, Hey, I want you to come to the shop. I want to show you something. And he started designing my kit and he knew my sister loved sunflowers and he put a sunflower in the back of my kit for in, in memory of my sister. And I was like, how awesome. Wow. How awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I have to do this team and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be successful at it. And it's not going to be a team that's just going to last for two years. And here I am going into my 15th year. Sunflower so, still there. Sunflower still there. It will always be in the back. Um, all right. So, so you start this team though, 2005, right? Um, what, what was your mission? What was your um, ideas behind it? And, and how has it grown? Give us a little like chronological order of, of how things have transpired and, and what they are right now. Well, so my dream was to have a successful team with developmental riders and elite riders. I didn't want to have um, a pro team, obviously, because I had my own career, but I wanted to have a successful team to keep women cycling alive in my, tri in the tri-state area. So after I formed this team, I think my first year I had like six riders and we did pretty well. And my main goal, and even to this day, I'm all about teamwork, working together. I'd rather see a team that works together and lose than a team that's going to win because they're all fighting against each other. And I felt that worked in my favor because we were really successful. And every race, we always went in there with a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. So as the years progressed, I realized, wow, I'm, you know, I started getting more applications for my team and my team has grown. We were in the, um, I think in like 2008, we, we participated in the Philly Classic. Do you guys, um, are you guys familiar with that race? Is that UCI? Oh, of course. Oh yeah. One of the hardest and biggest races out there. Yeah. It's not there though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not there anymore, unfortunately. It's not there. Yeah. It's not there, but, um. But yeah, so my team has grown. I mean, I had ups and downs. Like we, you know, as you know, riders retire, riders get injured, and then, then you have to start all over again. But that's what I love about my team is that I can take a team of three, four, fives, and I can turn them into elite riders. So I don't always go out there searching for the best riders out there. So I will take what I have and try to coach them. And Jeff and I will try to work with them to make them the best riders that can be. So yeah, no, I, I, um, I guess I could say I've only recently been been really helping with the team other than uh, providing emotional support in the past. <laughs> but um, I, I think Teresa mentioned it already, but it, the team's all about really promoting women's cycling, um, just making sure that girls out there have an opportunity to race, have the appropriate backing. Um, through product sponsorship and, and financial sponsorship. We, we want these girls to, to essentially do what they want to do. Um, and, and, uh, I think we give them the platform to do that and, and can help them progress throughout their career or achieve their goals. So, um, Teresa is really, um, I kind of ride on her coattails with this one. Uh, she definitely has made a name for herself in, uh, probably nationally at this point. Um, I, I don't think she's an everyday name to every household, but in the tri-state area, uh, if you bike race, you definitely know who Teresa is. Um, so much to the point where 
Uh, I'm much less famous. And uh, when I when I introduce myself to people in our community, um, they often look at me pretty puzzled until I say I'm Teresa's husband. Um, and then it all it all gets um, it, it all makes sense to them. So. Yeah. So, and my big thing is also to make sure that my team gives back. I mean, we have NICA coaches on the team. I'm a Trek women's advocate. I'm always giving back to the community. We're always leading rides, um, trying to get more women on bikes, trying to get more kids on bikes. So besides racing, and we do have a great team besides racing, we do also try to give back to the community. Um, it's been a lot of work, but I have amazing sponsors. Like I said, my title sponsor has been with me for all 15 years and the bike shop has supported me for all 15 years. So that's been huge. Once you have those two, I feel like it's much easier to be successful each year. And I feel like the longer I have the team, the more I can you know, keep women cycling alive. And I try to be an example to other team owners out there or maybe other riders that are trying to get into racing. I can't take everyone on my team. Um, I did have 50 applications this year to join my team and I try to keep it under 20. Um, that's because that's what I can financially afford. And I do like to give back to my team with uh, bike entry fees. We have monthly team rides that I you know, take care of any of the expenses for that. We have a team road boot camp, which is a two day weekend. And this year, because Jeff and I are going to be mountain biking, I started a mini mountain bike team this year too. So, um, so yeah, so I'm pretty excited. I mean, I'm going into my 15th year and I, I do a lot for the community. Like Jeff said, I mean, I don't like to say that I'm well known, but, um, I do get approached quite a bit for helping, helping people. Actually, someone from out from California reached out to me to help them with Zwift. So I'm going to have a conference call with them to help them with Zwift. Yeah. So um, people know me from all over. I don't know how, but somehow my name's out there. <laughs> if anything, this podcast isn't going to help your cause there and more people are going to know about you. Um, but you mentioned the team. One last question about your team here. Um, it's been around for 15 years. That's incredible. And it sounds like you guys have accomplished quite a lot together in those 15 years what are your goals for 2019 what are you guys trying to accomplish this year and so this year i think i'm going into it with more of a developmental team more three four five so um with really solid um a couple solid one twos so my goal this year for the road team is to take those group of threes that i have that are extremely strong and have them work together in these um elite races that we have in the tri-state area to try to get you know, the best placings they can. I also like to see um, a few of my threes upgrade this year. Like, you know, I have Amanda Rinder who last year um, crushed it in her first race, but had a neck injury. She broke away and I'm really looking forward to see what she, ha uh, what she can do. Um, we have Shana Kravitz, who's our cat too. She's a badass uh, cycle cross racer, but in the last two years, she's really, really shined in um, criterium and road racing. Um, She's a hell of a climber. So any road race, she'll break away and she'll outclimb anyone. But um, I like to see what she can do in crits this year. And I think um, Shayna is definitely becoming more confident with her crit riding. Um, and then we have Deborah Liddell Brown, who is our, our Cat One rider, probably one of the most amazing athletes I ever had on my team. Um, and I've had some pretty amazing ones. I went off to be pros. But um, Deborah's a great team player. And I think this year, you know, because she's kind of going into retirement in the road 
and kind of going into like more gravel grind, uh, gravel races and just mountain biking back to her roots. But um, Deborah's a great asset because she's a phenomenal bike reader, like bike race reader, and she's a great sprinter. And I think this year she's going to do great. And just kind of molding my two threes into the absolute like, elite riders I can have. And like I said, I never panic when I don't have those elite riders because this is my opportunity to grow my team again to the way I want them to race and to learn how to work together. Because I think when you do that, you have more riders who are willing to work together as a team than individualized. So that's my goal for the road team. Mountain biking's new to me, and we have about five riders um, including Deborah Dale Brown, my husband, myself, and Serena and Jenny and a couple other girls. And I think we're just going to try to dominate the math series this year and see what happens since it's their first season, really all going for, you know, racing mountain biking. So it's going to be quite an interesting um, year with, you know, having two teams that we're running and trying to train ourselves with our full-time career. But um, hey, I did it for 15 years. So I just another year for me, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. But it's fun yeah. because things change year to year, no matter what. And and the years yep. I know from running teams for the last ten years, um, just days go by like months for me. It's insane because they're just you're just so busy. Um now I have a last question. James got to ask one last question. I, I'm kinda curious. Tell me about um about you two though and your involvement with the team. All right, so in, in terms of like races. So um I know Jeff, you're not racing in the in the women's races, but are you guys going to the races and supporting them as like soigneurs and directors, or are you actually racing with them? Or like, I guess Jeff, what's what do you do with them at the races? And then Teresa, what do you do? That that's kind of what I want to know. It's a bit of a mix. So there are times when when Teresa and I will go to the races um, and support the road racers that are there. Um, most of the races again are crits, so so it's not like you're you know you're you're feeding or anything like that, but. Um, we do work with the team on, on, you know, race tactics and whatnot while we're there, just help them get set up. Um, in the past couple of years, like I said, Teresa and I were not racing on the road and therefore we pretty much dedicated our time when we would do that to just helping the, the riders that were racing, um, on the mountain bike. Um, yeah, we're, we're just as much of the team, um, as, as the other riders. So it's going to be a little bit more of, okay, let's have a quick chat. Um, and then let's, let's get our jobs done. Um, so that way Teresa and I can focus on ourselves as well. Um, yeah. So we're going to have to kind of figure that out this year. It's yeah. going to be new because, um, for the past couple of years or ever since that I've been seriously involved, I, I kind of took a step back from training and racing personally. Um, but, but I'm, I'm coming back this year. So it's going to be an interesting balance, um, on, on being, being that role for the team, but also trying to, uh, take care of me too. So I just want to add, because in the past before, you know, I had to put my racing aside, I was a team owner and racing with my team and I find myself always helping them versus racing myself, being that domestique, uh, leading them out till I destroyed myself. Um, just cause I felt like as a team owner, I, you know, it's my personality as you guys probably see from my Instagram and Facebook page, I'm always helping others. Um, I always felt like, Hey, this rider has upgrade points they need to do. So I was, Oh, we, I'm always like helping others. Um, so, but then when I was, when I got injured and I couldn't race, I did spend a lot of time at the races going over team tactics, running around the course, yelling at them if they were staying in the front too much. Um, I did that last year, balancing 
you know, I did race quite a, quite a few races. I did a couple Eddie time trials last year, a couple mountain bike races last year. Um, when I wasn't racing, I would go to the race and I'm pretty much like their domestique. I will make sure that the team's doing exactly what's asked of them while they're in the race. I'm pretty much coaching them from the side, you know, like yelling them to get off the back or get off the front or, um, so yeah. So, but we also, we, we communicate constantly. Um, we have private message boards that we communicate and then before every race, been doing this for years. Well, not when we didn't have cell phones. Um, but every race, if they're racing on Saturday, they will get a group text message from me. Because again, what I said that my number one goal is teamwork and working together and the camaraderie. So I will say good luck to everyone. This is your plan A, this is your plan B, this is someone's goal race. Um, and if I can't be there, I'll say let me know how it goes right after the race. I want a post race report. Um, and then I would also say, where are you guys warming up? Cause I'm really big on warming up together because if you're going to race together, you need to know how each other are feeling. You can't start at the, you can't get to the start line and being like, Hey, it's your goal race. Well, I didn't feel good. Well, you know, so I want them to warm up together so they can communicate and say, Hey, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel. Maybe we need to have a plan B. So those are the kind of, um, expectations that they know that I expect from them when they go to a race and it's been running pretty smoothly. And, and I think that's why my team is so successful. Yeah. Wow. I can, f- I can feel the enthusiasm coming through the, through my, my mic. It's amazing. No, seriously, I really do. I, I feel like you both are, are highly invested in this team and seeing its su- success. And that just doesn't mean having an athlete go pro. That means, you know, taking on people who might not have the best experience or talent and then, you know, shaping them into the athletes that you want them to become. And I, I just think it's, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last, so the last thing I want to uh, bring up on, on um, today's episode is WIFT. And the reason is, is I can't not bring it up and you'll find that out or James, you'll find that out for sure. Uh, in future podcasts, I always mention Zwift at least once or he does. So, um, and, and the reason is too, is Jeff, that's kind of how we first um, started talking. And I know you're super active on there. Cause I see you, uh, either posting a lot or um, commenting on, on forums or on live uh, streams and stuff. So uh, if you guys can tell me really quick, just um, your both take on how you got into Zwift and, and your um, feelings about it and stuff like that. So I'll go first because I was into it before Jeff and Jeff wasn't a fan of it when I first started. Um, I'm a Trek women's advocate besides everything else I do and a bike shop ambassador. So about three years ago, I was a Trek advocate and I was asked to lead some rides so I got into Zwift that way, um, and I kind of used it as like a weekend, um, a weekend thing, or over the winter. But I would say this past year, I'm totally addicted to it, and I've been dabbling in some races here and there, just because of I was told that I really shouldn't race anymore on the road, and I do miss it a lot. And if I crash again, I can really never walk again. So, um, I've been dabbling in some races and Jeff's been forcing me to try a couple and I'm starting to get hooked. No, I'm not going to lie. And I have been leading my Tuesday night Trek women's rides and those have been a blast. Um, last night we ended our 10 week program with a race and that was tough because I was helping my one teammate that I got myself dropped because I was teaching her. She's never raced before. She's a mountain biker, super strong. So I was trying to help her read the girl and I was telling her, go, go, go attack, attack, attack. So I'm looking at her screen and not my screen. Next thing I know, a gap opened up and I got third. Ah, oh, bummer. I know I just couldn't, 
I couldn't close it. I couldn't close it up. And Jeff was like, it's too late. You know, it's really hard to catch someone. So as you guys know, it's, it's hard. And I tried and I was like, ah, I'll just have now I'm like hooked, but that's how I kind of got into it due to um, being a Trek women's advocate and being asked to lead a ride three years ago. Nice. And Jeff, are you mentioned you're on there too. Are you just as hooked? Um, I wouldn't say hook. I would say obsessed. So, um, <laughs> and he's not lying. <laughs> so, I mean, Adam is probably more in this width than like most, right? I mean, you're probably at the pinnacle of, of how in this width you are. Yeah, um, I, I would say I'm pretty into it. Yeah, <laughs> you're pretty into it. There, there's, there are those in the community that are very into it. I'm definitely one of them. Um, I just think it is such an awesome addition to the world of cycling. So. It, it gets a lot, I mean, those old school traditionalists, traditionalists um, they will talk smack about it, but I think if they actually tried it um, and gave it a fair shot, they would realize how cool it is. I was, I have been ri uh, riding and racing for 15 years, and I remember those three and a half hour stare at the spot on the floor roller sessions. Um and boy, the hardest part about it was just mental. It had nothing to do with physical back then. And um, now uh, I can jump on Zwift to a century and literally uh, not blink an eye. So it, it's so awesome. And, you know, I, I think what we're going to see, especially this year, Zwift seems to be exploding. But I think when, when people start riding outside again in New Jersey, I think we're going to see like a huge Swift effect. I think everyone's going to be way faster than they've ever been in the spring. Um, and I, I look forward to it. I just hope they work on their handling skills before they start <laughs> yeah, did, I, oh, did I say that out loud? That, that is one of the problems, right? We're, we're all going to have a lot of legs and not a lot of people are going to have a lot of uh, skill. But um, Another thing about Zwift that I, I love is I just love the ease of its ability to be broadcast and shared. So um, I love what's going on with the Super League, the Community League. I think KISS is doing a really good job. It's, it's a whole new thing. And it, it's so it's it's relative to real cycling, so easy to, to broadcast. And it's it's financially stable and or, or financially cheap. And I just think it's a sustainable model and I think it's great. Um, and I'm a data weenie. So the more numbers that I can see on other people and myself, the the better. And I think SwiftPower.com is, is unfortunately a spot where I probably spend way too much time. Um, so there, there's a whole lot of things about Swift that I love. And I've been doing all my training on there this winter. Um, I, I look forward to racing more on there too as well. Yeah, and you hit a lot of really good points. And I know Adam has mentioned several of these on the on this podcast before as well. But um, I think the part that resonated most with me is that this isn't replacing Swift. Is not replacing anything related to cycling as you and I know it. Right? It's mostly a complement. You had you have road biking, then you have mountain biking. Great. Then you have cyclocross. Then you had fat biking, and then you had downhill mountain biking. You had just different chapters of cycling. Indoor cycling and indoor racing, that's just another chapter of the cycling evolution. We're still doing the same thing. It's still the same effort. It's just a slightly different skill set. Now, should you just do all your training on Swift and then go expect to go show up to your local crit and absolutely crush it? I mean, if it's just a straight line, you'll probably do well. 
But if you have to go to Branchburg or Branchburg, excuse me, and do those crits, you probably should ride outside a couple more times. But um, for me personally, I always tell my friends, you got to try it. You got to get out there. You just got to get, you know, if you have a trainer, they make it so easy now, right? Just a Bluetooth adapter or a simple speed sensor or the most expensive smart trainer you can find. Go ahead and do it. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of more teams start to get a lot more involved. And when I say teams, I mean teams that have a, you know, outdoor presence like Madison Genesis that you saw during the Kiss Super League reference earlier. They have guys racing inside. Maybe you're just going to see a chapter of that team just be focused on indoor riders. Who knows? Now, that would be cool. And actually talking about that, like now you guys know I have a cycling team and we do monthly rides because we are scattered. And thanks to Zwift, we were able to do meet team meetups and not cancel our team rides and have all 15 women riding on a Sunday morning. So that helped me a lot this winter where normally I – we had a snowstorm. I would have to cancel. And then we wasted a, a month of not riding. And we still got the same benefit because we were all on Discord. So we were able still to communicate with each other like, hey, you guys are dropping me. Can you ease it up a little bit? Or can someone come back and get me? I need a, I need a wheel to draft on. Um, we did have a couple guys in the pack to help us out with like, you know, any riders that needed assistance. And I am thankful that I had that this winter to utilize and making sure that my teammates all had Zwift so they can join us. So I, I'm i really excited to have that. Yeah, you're going to have to add another um, category to your roster on your website, you know, that says uh, <clears throat> eSports uh, Zwift racing team or roster or something like that, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. And then my, then my boss might kick me out of my job because I'm doing too much cycling <laughs> stuff and not enough cost analyst stuff. I, I like so I'm that a number. Idea. Yeah, I do like that idea too. But I'm also a numbers geek. I'm a cost analyst, so... The two of us together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> cool. Well, um, listen, it's been really great uh, getting to know both of you and, and your stories and, and the awesome team that you run. Um, before we end, uh, where can more people find out about uh, you guys and, and your team? So if they can go to RiptideCycling.com and then on Instagram, we're Riptide Cause Cycling. And on Facebook, we're Team EPS M3. Riptide cause. Is that right? I know. I'm sorry. I have so many uh, Instagram, uh, so many Facebook, but mainly everything can be found on riptidecycling.com. That's my team website with our information. Yeah. The links to the social media pages are on the website as well. So you'll be able to get yeah. there from there. But uh, yeah, check us out. It's, it's uh, Teresa has built something pretty special here. Awesome. Well, yeah, I wish you both the best of luck in 2019 and, um, hopefully I'll be back in the Jersey area soon and maybe we can all meet up and, and go for a ride. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and Adam, cool. I would like some tips on how to race better on Zwift on, um, offline. <laughs> so. Sure. Ping, ping me anytime. Uh, yeah. You know, fun, the funny thing is like people, um, I do get a lot of messages about people asking me, uh, you know, about Zwift and, um, and especially I do not have a high FTP. You know, if you, if you look at me in races, I, I tend to have a lower FTP or draw lower numbers. And that's not just because I'm a, a lightweight rider, but, um, and I just say, I, I get the game, you know, it's just like, to me, I treat it like a video game that I'm riding a bicycle sometimes. And, um, yeah, it's much, much more than that. Right. Um, emotionally, but for me, I just, I figured out the best ways to ride in a pack and, and sprint and do well and, and have fun with it. And that's what it's all about. So. 
Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to watch you. So. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate that. <laughs> well, listen, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, everyone. That'll do it for this edition of the Echelon Podcast. As always, you can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Facebook. Questions or comments about the show, get in touch at theechelonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time.